Hello to all of our wonderful listeners. Welcome to the NetSuite Podcast. I'm your guest host, Megan O'Brien, business and finance editor at NetSuite, which means that you just tuned in to our Office of the CFO series. I am so excited today to get to this episode with Andy Burt. He is the managing director and head of content at CFO and Performative. I'm sure many of you listeners have read some of the amazingly informative articles through CFO and CFO.com, so there is a good chance that you've read some of Andy's wonderful work. And as someone with years of experience in CFO-related publications, we felt that he was just the perfect guest to have on the Office of the CFO series portion of the NetSuite podcast. And even more exciting... Um, He came on to be a part of the Sweet World 2022 recap. So in this podcast episode, we discussed the biggest takeaways we had from the conference, some of the most salient points from our interviews with revolutionary CFOs, if I do say so myself, and our thoughts on the future of the role. If you want the highlights from the finance perspective of Sweet World, you are not going to want to miss this one. So stay tuned. That's all coming up next. You're listening to the NetSuite Podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Andy. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Megan. Thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. Yes. So we are coming to the end of a very exciting week at Sweet World. How was it for you? Really intense, I have to say. Uh, I, I think anytime you spend more than uh, a 48-hour turnaround in Las Vegas, you're, you're kind of pushing the limits <laughs> of human experience. But uh, couple that with an extra few days at Sweet World, it's, it's kind of an overload of information, of people, of, of events, of sessions, great keynotes. Uh, it's going to take me a while to kind of process everything that I experienced. I think it's nice that it uh, kind of ends when you're in, going into a weekend because I'm like, I just need a second to sit on my couch, yeah. maybe just like write a few things down, <laughs> mm-hmm. come, to, come to terms with everything. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree because we do get to meet really amazing people here. My first Sweet World was last year, but it was, it was a little scaled down. It was still huge and overwhelming and intense, but I think it was about half the size mm-hmm. of what it is this year. So it, this year was just very exciting energy. Yeah. What, what would you say is the biggest uh, year versus year difference that you've experienced? Um, I think just in terms of actually the amount of people that I got to kind of socialize with. And that's more, probably less on the nature of Sweet World and more on my my kind of attitude change because mm-hmm. last year I was so focused on doing all these things, getting all this stuff done. And like this year I was like, I just want to chat with people. I want to learn more about their business. I want to learn more about how NetSuite is playing a role in that. I want to learn about people's different paths to becoming what they are today and it's really fascinating so it was almost like taking the time to slow down but at the same time it was a very fast-paced slow down (laughs) for sure and and i know that we are both working while we're here and i'm sure a lot of others are as well Uh, are you introverted or extroverted like what is that like for you i i always consider (laughs) we were joking around about this yesterday um 
when I was uh, out at dinner, uh, I always considered myself a huge introvert. And when I was younger, my parents started to be like, you need to pull it together, kid. <laughs> you know, make eye contact, go ahead and like do the firm business handshake. So my dad was giving me business handshake lessons. We were, we were trying to learn how to look people in the eyes while speaking. So mm -hmm. I think I've been trained into being more of an extrovert at this point, but by nature, introvert, 100%. Gotcha, so, so how would you teach somebody to have a good business handshake? Oh my God, okay, so so for everyone out there, I, I grew up Catholic, so of course I had to go to church every week and you had to do this uh, the peace uh, handshake with everyone in the church. And so my dad would just look at me and he's like, look him in the eyes grip their hands, no dead fish handshake, no dead fish handshake. <laughs> and so he, he kind of coached me through that. Um, so now I, I pride myself on having a good business handshake. Solid. Yeah. But what about you? Are you an extrovert or introvert? I'm definitely an introvert, but I've, I've found that as I've, I've grown older and uh, I've experienced more opportunity to be at these types of events that I really enjoy the human interaction. And I think that's one thing that I always take away from these experiences is that, yeah, we're here to work, we're here to, to make this, help make this, this event meaningful for everybody. Mm -hmm. But everyone you come in contact with, whether it's the, the CFO of a large company or you know, a young tech person who's just kind of getting their feet wet in their, wet in their career, uh, they want to have a human experience, mm -hmm. and that means if you take a moment to ask them about how they're doing, uh, you know, what they're learning, what they're excited about, you can have these really personal exchanges, even for somebody that you've just met. And, uh, and so for me, as, as an introvert also, I always look for those types of opportunities. But I have to say, by the end of the day, I'm just kind of laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, and trying to figure out how I'm gonna recharge for the next day. I kick off my shoes, I lay in bed, I had a stash of cookies in my room and I would just lay there for like 10 minutes. Yeah, like, just give me a minute, just, <laughs> just stop texting me. <laughs> yeah, no one talk to me, I just need a minute. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of which, I mean, you and your role, you kind of almost have to be a little bit of an extrovert, right? Um, I mean, first of all, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and kind of how you got into it? Sure, yeah, I can give you a little bit of background. Uh, so my role is with a, uh, a publication, a digital publication called CFO and CFO.com. It's a legacy publication. It's been around for 30 years. Uh, it used to be one of those, those glossy print magazines that you'd see in doctor's offices and things like that. But times change, and so we had to move it into a digital format. And, and so my role is I'm the, uh, the managing director over all the content that we do. Uh, so I get a chance to work with some phenomenal journalists and great storytellers. You know, that's what we do is we, we tell stories. And, uh, and then build relationships with CFOs and finance executives and, and the rest of the C-suite to be able to deliver them information that they find useful in their careers, uh, in building their relationships, in their management style. And, uh, and so we, you know, we do this on a day-to-day on -day basis, and uh, that's why we're here. Uh, we had a chance to, to partner with NetSuite. They asked us to, to be here to help cover the events. And uh, I even got the, the opportunity to uh, do some TV, uh, hosted a couple panels. And so that was an exciting uh, opportunity for me. How was the TV event? Did it, I mean, I, I know you've done a lot of podcasts before and it shows. Um, <laughs> Have you done anything on TV? I've never done anything on TV. I always say I have a face for radio. Uh, <laughs> and so when Fritz Nelson, who is one of the co-anchors, mm -hmm. asked me, would you be interested, 
It was one of those moments where, you know, as an introvert, we sometimes we have to challenge ourselves to say, how can I move a little bit outside of my comfort zone? Because I feel like I need to grow in, in this kind of area. And so I, I just instinctively said yes, even though inside I was a little bit of, you know, a little turmoil because it's like, what, what's this going to feel like? Uh, but I think the amazing thing is Kendall came into the conversation with Fritz, and they're so supportive about, here's all you need to do. You need mm -hmm. to tell your story. You need to ask great questions, and we'll handle all of the production and, and all the things that you might have some anxiety over. You don't need to worry about any of that. And that was exactly the the experience that I had, all the production people, uh, the the managers and the uh, the makeup people, they they're just phenomenal. And so all I had to do was just get out out there and and smile and ask questions and watch that time fly by. You know what? I kind of get that feeling with a lot of um, so we do the office of the CFO series and. Every so often we get people who are like, I'm just nervous and I'm just, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And like, I, I haven't done podcasts before, things like that. And I mean, I, I, I totally, I, I understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, I think CFOs um, can really benefit from that experience because things like these, it's a very safe space. Like mm -hmm. people are here to like help you, you know, we're, we're here to hear the hear your story and kind of um, do so in a very fun, comfortable way. So it's always hard to get out of your comfort zone, but I think that once you do it, oh, it's just like, oh, that was, that was a lot better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you've experienced this too, but when you're interviewing somebody, and I know you've interviewed a lot of people over the past couple of days, is that you, you realize that your job is to make them the star. And mm -hmm. so if, if you're anxious, if they're anxious, all you're trying to do is put them at ease so that they can be the person that you want to, to just come out and, uh, and exude to the audience, whatever it might be. And so on one of my panels, I know we had two veterans and they knew exactly what to do and what to say and how to help manage the, the conversation. And there was one who, it was his first experience. And so my job is to make it as easy as possible for him to just share about his experience, his life, his work, and uh, and he did a great job. And and the next time he does it, he'll, he'll be even better. And uh, and so it, it's it's personally rewarding for me when I see people learn in real time about hey, I can do this really well. Uh, that's incredibly fulfilling to me. Yeah, because I think uh, a lot of people in business they want to grow their brands, they want to get out there a little more, they have thoughts that they want to share, but they're a little nervous about how to do it but there's actually so many mediums for you to do it mm -hmm. um small plug if you want if you want your like content written come to me because i'm always looking for cfo perspectives <laughs> brilliant so i have to ask you what um could you share what your favorite interview was this past week oh gosh i like i hate to choose one because all of them were so great in their own way i feel like i i had so much fun with everyone i I think the one that like kind of just almost surprised me the most was the Johnny Pops interview. So mm -hmm. uh, we we did an interview with the CFO at Johnny Pops, which is a frozen treat company out of Minnesota. And uh, he, uh, his name's Connor Ray. He is the CFO and co-founder of it. He had uh, started this company when he was in college. He and his friend just had this idea and they said, I think it's really good. We're going to run with it. So while everyone else was partying and, you know, going crazy in college, they were, they were making popsicles, they were 
creating business plans. They were they were coming together to figure out how to get this business off the ground. And now they're in all 50 states. They're in a couple of foreign retailers. They've um, really given back to their community as well and really just prioritized their community impact. It's a huge part of their mission. And I'm looking at this guy who is a year younger than me. I'm thinking, good Lord, this is, I mean, this is amazing. I, at one like, point, what have I just, done with my life? <laughs> at one point, it just kind of came out unprompted. You're so young. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me. I was like, that was not the most professional way to say that. <laughs> but it's true. It's just, it's amazing what people, uh, people have done. And some of the most salient advice that he kind of gave was the fact that it was just, it was a lot of hard work. There was like some doubt involved of, can I actually do this full time? Shouldn't I like go get a quote unquote real job? Like I'm going into entrepreneurship and I'm, you know, I, I don't know. And uh, he was just saying, you got to stick with it. It's a lot more work than you would think. It's, it's a ton of setbacks, but as long as you keep believing in that mission and kind of the vision that you've set for yourself, it's going to, you're going to be able to kind of pull it together. Yeah, I, I would second that. And I had a chance to listen in on some of your conversation with Connor. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you can almost divide it into two categories. One is he's got to be incredibly smart. Uh, and motivated yes. and hardworking because we asked him, did you study finance? Did you study accounting? He said, no, I actually, I studied some economics and computer science. Mm-hmm. And and my first thought was, how did you translate that into the language of business? Like, that's not an easy thing to do. And he figured it out. And, you know, fortunately for him, he discovered NetSuite. And, yep. and I imagine <laughs> that a lot of the software platforms helped him in that learning curve. And you have to remember, he's learning all this in real time. Uh, how how to do all of these things the the production the uh, the the distribution the the sales process and all the finance stuff he's doing all of this in real time as and he's learning how to do it uh, and and so you, you get that sense of he's incredibly smart he's incredibly motivated but the longer you talk to him you realize how unassuming he is and and really humble it's sort of that mis- midwestern kind of humility mm-hmm. of you know i'm just doing my thing and we're learning and we're growing and we're excited about it and uh it's just a marvelous combination of you know the, the work ethic and the, uh, the the day-to-day humility that i think makes him an outstanding leader and you know what it was funny because uh, it's funny that you touch on that because i was talking to a CFO, and her name's uh, Shauna Veal, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is the CFO of PharmChem, uh, which does uh, drug testing through skin patches. Yeah. And she was, uh, it, she was so unassuming. And, you know, she was saying, oh, you know, I just need, I do what needs to get done. And I thought to myself, yeah, of course. I mean, we all do that. But then she's talking about it. And I'm like, you're not just a CFO. You're a CFO. You're doing a lot of HR. You're doing a lot of uh, kind of like inventory type stuff. There was one point in the pandemic where she and her husband are literally packing up supplies to go out to different places because things had just shut down. And um, I literally said to her, you need to put all this on your LinkedIn and on your resume. Like not just CFO, but CFO dash uh, inventory management dash HR dash like it just kept going and I, I kept saying on the interview well add that to the list I mean you're you're not giving yourself enough credit you and she's like I see things that need to get done and I do it 
Yeah, that's a great common trait that we saw in both of those people. And, and I've, I've had a chance to, to talk with a lot of either small business owners or CFOs that are working for up-and-coming companies that are growing really rapidly. And one of the takeaways that I always got, whether they said it explicitly or they demonstrated it implicitly, is that when you want to be a leader that has impact on the people and the business, you have to have the courage to lead and make hard decisions, but you also have to have the humility to clean the bathrooms at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. If you can do both of those things and demonstrate it and emulate it for the rest of your company, you're building something that's really special. Yeah, and I swear we didn't plan this, but you keep segueing perfectly into <laughs> one of my other interviews. Okay, so I did an interview with a Jen Herdler, who is the CFO over at Impact Health, and they uh, did this massive pivot at, um, in 2020 to start doing COVID uh, testing and vaccination programs. And she, she had taken a lot of time off to raise her kids, to, to uh, grow her family. And she had come back into the workforce after like 10 years out. And she came into a technology class to catch up on some financial modeling techniques and things like that. And she said initially she felt so embarrassed because she was always the last one done with things and she was having trouble keeping up with all the young people in there. But one thing she, that she realized throughout the process was she kind of had a leg up on all these business fundamentals like uh, collaboration, communication, um, really uh, kind of just working well across the business. And, and she's someone too who, who has a huge HR focus. and. So she's like, yeah, I was nervous coming back in. Yeah, I had to tell people, okay, I had like 10 years to, to raise my kids. But I, I also said, look, I have all these fundamentals that come with years and years of experience. And basically you're gonna want those. And I mean, she was right. She, she grew that company from, what was it? Like 300 employees to like 20,000. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's just, I think we we obviously here at Nets, we place a huge emphasis on knowing technology and it's beyond important, but it's also like a question of like, can you do the fundamentals? Yeah. And if I'd like to touch on two aspects of that, because I've had a chance to talk to Jen as well. Mm -hmm. And her business is, is, was, is of the type where when the pandemic started, a lot of companies were getting shut down, furloughed, things like that. Her company was exploding. And, uh, and as you said, growing up to 20,000 nurses across the country, they were setting up pop-ups all over the place, sometimes with a 48-hour turnaround to be able to, to meet the testing needs. They were building partnerships in uh, at least 20 to 25 states at a time. And, uh, and so the infrastructure that they had to develop very, very quickly and also to develop the internal processes, uh, moving from you know out, outdated uh, you know accounting software and you know some you know back of the envelope kind of kind of efforts to something that is enterprise level that can handle the rapid scaling up, then the rapid scaling down because then there was a lull in the pandemic, but then it spiked again, mm -hmm. and so they had to ramp it back up. Does a very distinctive experience for a company when everything around them is probably just trying to figure out how to stay open. And they were trying to figure out how do we grow this as fast as we can, but also so it's sustainable. So her leadership and her background in change management, I can't, mm -hmm. I think, really came into play there. And I, I kind of want to uh, highlight that issue of change management because one thing I've heard, 
I mean, especially this week, but like, let's be honest, over the past two and a half years, is all these people have to change really quickly. All these businesses all of a sudden are, oh my gosh, customer demand is way, way up. Oh, it's down. Oh, people don't want what we have anymore. Oh, they really want it now. Like, how do you think CFOs can kind of uh, prepare for this type of, and I always, I always use the Netflix Blockbuster example, where Blockbuster was like, no, nah, I don't think it's really changing. And then all of a sudden it was- It's gone. Yeah, it was, I call it the sticky pivot foot. How do you think CFOs today can kind of keep up with all that? You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, and it's kind of fun to tweak CFOs when you say, you know, the bean counter term or something like mm-hmm. that. And they're like, no, we actually do quite a bit more than that. But I do think the pandemic did something to the CFO role in bringing it to the surface level of awareness, notoriety about how absolutely critically important the role is when things are not going well. You know, and obviously uh, in the U.S. economy, we go through our cycles. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we, it has a pretty regular cadence to it. We kind of know when the peaks and the valleys are going to come. And that allows for a lot of forecasting and predictability and things like that. But then you get an experience like the pandemic when suddenly everything is falling apart and nobody really knows what the right steps forward are. The CFOs were the, were the ones that really stepped up, uh, in my in my view, in in my analysis of the situation, because companies needed to figure out how do we avoid having to close our doors. And one of the acronyms that I like that one my former COO shared with me at my company, he said it's a simple acronym. It's DROOM, D R O O M, and that simply means don't run out of money. <laughs> If you can figure that piece out, you can survive and weather a lot of the storms. And that means you, know, you take a look at your balance sheet, you take a look at where your, your cash outlays are going, uh, and you figure out what do we need to be able to survive. And then you start to look at, okay, do we need to raise capital? Can we renegotiate the terms on our loans? Can we uh, find investors? Can we issue more stock? The CFOs were figuring all of this stuff out when everything seemed like it was falling apart. and. I think they finally got a lot of credit that was due to them about not just being the uh, quote-unquote bean counters, but the strategic leaders that companies have to have when there's so much unpredictability uh, with what's going on. Uh, I actually heard a term in one of the sessions I went to. Uh, It was by Tom Kelly, who is... uh, Uh, here at NetSuite, and he always has the funniest slides, and I love it. Uh, But he started referring to it as you have to be a bean counter and a bean grower. Mm. So you have to, like, you have to know how to create that value. You can't just, like, count the value after after the fact. But I am going to start saying Droom every time I look at my checking account. Like, just don't don't run run out out of money. money. (laughs) Don't run out of money, Megan. Stop getting takeout. (laughs) Yeah, but but then here's what happens is, is it's not like their role receded. They actually realized not only can I be the strategic leader within my company, but it's something that makes us competitive, more competitive than, uh, than you know, if, if I was just taking a lesser role. Uh, like if you ever look at it in an earnings call transcript, CEO gets the flashy headlines, the, the CMO gets to talk about, you know, market acquisition, uh, the, the, the technology people talk about capital investments and how they're going to transform the business. And then the CFO says, here's our EPS. <laughs> Here's our growth prospects. Okay, I'll ed- exit stage right. Like that, that's, that's changed, and I think it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, um, do you know Jack McCulloch? I do. 
Oh, he's fantastic. I yeah. love him. Uh, so we've had him on the podcast before, but I also just interviewed him uh, for an article of kind of how the CFO can be a better strategic partner to the CEO, basically what CEOs want out of their CFOs. And he, he said something along the lines of, you know, your CEO is Mick Jagger, you know, mm -hmm. the performer, the charisma, the person who can like really sell it. But you as CFO, you are Keith Richards and you... I mean, you rock that guitar and you're really, really good at what you do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, you also like have a little, a little show power. You, you kind of like can bring it as well. Yeah. You can, you can pull off that solo from time to time. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, he's, he's always fantastic to talk to just kind of a good amount of insight because he has been a CFO, but he's also been a mentor towards a lot of CFOs and he's a huge uh, proponent for having a mentor. Um, just especially now, like your your company could be a very small company and then something random happens and demand surges and all of a sudden maybe you're heading for an IPO and it's like, I've never done an IPO before. So kind of finding someone who has that experience who can say, okay, like let's let's tackle this. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And so much of what he does, he, uh, he's the president of the, uh, the CFO Leadership Council. Mm -hmm. And so he sets up these organizations all over the country uh, where CFOs can come together to be together and uh, be their, help be their support systems to, to give them advice and counsel when they're going through those types of challenges, uh, which I, I think is tremendous because uh, in my experience, when I go to large events, the CFOs tend to, you know, just kind of huddle together because they're just trying to figure out how to solve problems and things like that. <laughs> And so Jack gives them the space to do that, and uh, and that's what we try to do on CFO.com uh, as well, is give them the, the space where they can just talk to each other because that's, that's kind of who, the, who they want to hear from. How did six out of the top seven best-performing tech stocks gain visibility and control over financials, inventory, planning, and budgeting with NetSuite by Oracle? Answers at netsuite.com slash code, netsuite.com slash code. I, I got to dig into that because you have such a unique perspective and insight into this as someone who kind of oversees all this and sees everything happening kind of uh, through. Um, can you talk about how maybe the conversations or the problems have changed since the start? How have they evolved? What, what's different? I think business has become more complex, mm -hmm. uh, and that's due to the technology. It's due to the global competitive nature of, of industry these days. Uh, and then there are certain aspects that have become wildly complex, and the one that comes to mind is supply chain issues. Um, one of the, the really interesting conversations that I've had in the past is talking to Jack Hartung, who is the CFO of Chipotle. You might be familiar uh, with Chipotle. I am very familiar. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I had a chance to interview him and, and also his supply chain manager. Um, and, and I had them talk to each other about, you know, how do you get on the same page with between finance and supply chain? And he actually said, supply chain ro rolls up to finance in our company. And I think that that makes a ton of sense for yeah. especially when you're talking about food, uh, of course, but there should be a synergy between the supply chain manager and the CFO. Uh, I think it, make, it makes a ton of sense, but I don't see it that often. But I think those who kind of figure it out, um, they realize that it's a really important aspect. And, and one of the, the gentlemen that I had a chance to interview, his name is Avi Cohen. Okay. Um, and uh, he's a CFO for a company called Cabinets to Go. 
and they do uh, uh, kitchen renovation. So manufacturing, lots of raw materials, um, importing uh, from overseas. And so he's worrying about shipping containers arriving into ports, uh, getting those, those containers to the, the, the distribution channels and things like that. And it's, it's just so amazing to hear a CFO who is fluent in the language of supply chain. And I think that is a big way in which CFOs have to be thinking outside of the traditional, uh, you know, the, the accounting world, the finance world, the, the forecasting stuff. You have to really understand in a more holistic way how your company functions, especially when you have a supply chain that is integral to it. It's, and it's just so much turmoil in it. So how do you think he kind of goes about learning about the supply chain issues. Is it really just having a close collaboration? You really, this, this is just my opinion, because okay. um, these people are really smart, but you have to have critical roles that, that bring out the supply chain issues or, or anything that, that is sort of central to your business because the language that they speak is not the same. Uh, and, and even within the supply chain, uh, I, I tended not to you know, go off on a tangent too much, but I, I think of supply chain with four components to it. And so when we say supply chain, we might be talking about very different things. Uh, the, the acronym that I like, I like acronyms, uh, is... It's business. Yeah, we do acronyms. We do lots of acronyms. <laughs> so if you remember the expression F-L-O-P, FLOP, okay? So FLOP represents freight, logistics, operations, and procurement. Okay, um, so if you're thinking about supply chain end to end, I think it encompasses all of those things. Whether you're going out and you're finding the stuff, the raw materials, that's procurement. Mm -hmm. You're bringing it to your, your plant to build, that's the operations. You're figuring out how to deliver it to your, uh, uh, your, uh, the companies that are going to sell it. That's, you know, that's freight, that's logistics. Um, we have to make sure that we're talking about the same things because if you just say supply chain, you might be thinking logistics, like how do I get this stuff on a truck to be able to deliver it across the country, where another person might be thinking about, no, supply chain is how we actually build the stuff in our plants. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and those are two different, very different things. And so it's hard enough to, within the supply chain to know what you're talking about. But now the CFO has to understand those components as well. And that's what somebody like Avi, it's somebody like what, what Jack Hartang has figured out. And I think that's what really is going to distinguish how CFOs think strategically as leaders. Mm -hmm. So is it kind of a knowledge across the whole business or uh, are they prioritizing certain parts of the business like the supply chain? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I like, I feel like we see the CFO going in a direction of just a lot more collaboration across the entire business, but there is always that nagging thought in my mind of how do you make enough time for that? How yeah. do you get to know every part of the business? And uh, I, I talked to Jen Hurdler about that because mm -hmm. she loves kind of tapping into the operational side of things. And I said to her, how do you how do you do all the finance and all the uh, she's working for an incredibly fast growing company. And then you're also kind of jumping into operations and helping out with HR and all these things. Is it is it a time management? Is it just kind of a mindset of continuous learning? What? How do you get it all done? <laughs> it, it's a great question, and and I think time management it rolls right up into leadership because I think, at least in my own experience, as you know, if I want to call myself a leader in some way, it's you have to understand when it's time to let things go, because part of your job is not just to figure out how to do the things, 
because if you just do that, you bottleneck your company. Mm -hmm. But you have to know and value how to hire and train up really good people uh, so that they can take those things off your plate. That is, that is an essential component of being a leader, and that matters whether you're a company of 10 or 10,000. You have to understand. It's, and I don't, I, I don't love the term delegation. I, I mean, I think that encompasses it. But I think it's, it's more about how do you raise your teammates up so that they can become leaders in their own right um, and CFOs who figure that out, not only have they figured out how to manage their own time better, but they've also improved the company in a very material way uh, because now you've got people around you that can capably do all the things that you don't have time for, mm -hmm. but you're giving them a purpose, a higher purpose in their own careers. And so the, now they have asp aspirations to, to grow and they have a motivation to do so because they know that their efforts will be rewarded with more responsibilities and they may be a CFO down the road as well. That's, um, that's something that I've kind of heard in a couple of interviews is hire a really good controller, someone that you see as future CFO, because mm -hmm. then they can kind of handle making sure the train runs on time, AKA the revenue recognition, getting everything, uh, kind of handling the closed processes. And then the CFO can go more into the strategic side of things, um, which I, I thought was an interesting concept. Yeah, and uh, I'm trying. I, the The case study that that we we looked at a while ago, uh, it was with uh, Edgewood Resorts, and uh, I, so, I have talked to them before, yeah. and they are amazing. Um, yeah. I just have to give context here because they are uh, a company in Lake Tahoe. Uh, they run a beautiful lodge, has golf courses and and Very restaurants, <laughs> yeah. and I I just sit there scrolling through their website like. To, I wonder if they'll invite me. <laughs> but they've also had a lot of trouble because obviously COVID hit hospitality um, and leisure very, very hard. Travel still hasn't rebounded. And then they also dealt with a wildfire mm -hmm. and, the, and they had to evacuate. Yeah. Um, so I, I had to like throw that in there because it still just blows my mind that uh, CFO who is the nicest man in the world was like, yeah, you know, we, we just had to keep plodding along. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, that met Midwestern kind of humility. Exactly. Uh, so his name is Aaron Hartwig. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I encourage anybody who's listening to, to check out Edgewood because, um, they, they, he just has a really powerful story and it's not just through his leadership, but it's how he valued all the people on his team. And because at the beginning of when everything was starting to go down, and they didn't know how long it was going to last. He said, we're not going to furlough anybody. We're not going to lay mm -hmm. off anybody. We are going to figure out how to not run out of money, and we're going to keep these people so that um, you know, they're able to, to survive the, uh, the, the challenges because if we lose our people, if we lose our talent, we're dead. You know, we can probably survive uh, through you know, wildfires and pandemic shutdowns, but if we lose our people, we, we won't exist anymore. And I think... That's a really rare thing for a CFO to not only have that perspective, but to espouse it. I mean, I, I'm not, I think CFOs do care about their people, mm -hmm. but to say this is a key component of our strategy and it's an offensive strategy. It's not a defensive one um, because they could have easily furloughed people and then try to hire, hire them back later. But he said, no, that's not the way we're going to do this. And I think it really, it resonates with his staff and, uh, and it, it really comes through in his story. 
Well, it, uh, so we always do our quarterly NetSuite survey, um, and we interview 500 executives. And a lot of times what we try to do, um, sometimes we are more finance-focused, but sometimes what we do is we get an even split between finance and non-finance executives. And um, we kind of see how their perspectives on spending, priorities, concerns, how that all compares. Um, and usually there's kind of a big disparity there, which we, we can talk about in a bit. But uh, the big thing that we noticed recently was finance executives were much more inclined to say they wanted to pay their people more. And that was like one of their big spending areas was pay increases, uh, making sure they kind of retain talent. Um, I'm not I'm not coming after non-finance executives. It was just everyone was on board for paying more, but finance was uh, uh, noticeably more uh, leaning towards that to just keep talent on. Yeah, and, and I think it does it does radiate from their CFO's general perspective that they understand the margins really mm -hmm. well. And I mean, this this isn't you know a secret. We have an inflationary rate that outpaces the the growth rate of wages right now. And so I, I think CFOs recognize that and realize they have to be proactive to be able to deal with that. And, and just looking at um, the, the hiring times, the expenses associated with it, I talked to um, one company that uh, incredibly, it, it was a Sail GP. Mm -hmm. uh, they do um, these really cool boat races all around the world. So kind of a dream company to work for. It took them 15 months to find an accountant. Mm. Like not just not like not onboard them, just to find them. Yeah, <laughs> which I, I mean that's just incredibly expensive, and then you're uh, working a man down. Yeah, yeah, and I've talked to executive headhunter firms, and they say mm -hmm. the exact same things. They say certain key roles you can't even find them. Uh, it's it, and it's not even a question of they're too expensive. It's just they're not there. Uh, and, and this is, I mean, this, I think this is what a lot of companies face company-wide, but I think within the finance teams especially, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to do that recruiting to find the people who are capable of, of doing the, these, these types of things, which makes retention all the more important. It, it, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just hinting at a, a couple of raises and bonuses. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so I, I kind of want to, we're, we're coming to the end of our time at Sweet World and a little bit towards the end of the time for the podcast. And I, I just like, what are the top three things that you took away from meeting with finance execs here and mm -hmm. kind of going to the sessions and learning more about the pain points and, and what people are doing? What are kind of your top three takeaways? I think one of them, uh, perhaps the most impactful to me, is when I had a chance to interview Melissa Harrington on one of the mm -hmm. panels that I did. She's a CFO of a, a company called Premier Claims, and so they are the advocates for the people who are filing claims against insurance providers. And all week, she has been documenting her experience working with her team, sending them to Florida. Obviously, Hurricane Ian has been going on, and there's a lot a lot of to, of to clean up yeah and so even in the midst of her being here and and helping me out with my panel and 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 she is a rock star like everybody loves her everybody uh just sings her praises and, and it's easy to see why because she's so smart but so personable and i think that is such a great illustration 
of what it means to be a leader in this in this time and in, in these these challenges is that you can be both. You can be a strategic leader that has to make hard decisions at times, but you can also do it in such a way that is tender to the the circumstances, uh, whether it's for your own team that you're literally sending into the eye of the, eye of the storm, uh, or the people that they work with. And when you can model that as a leader and then your teammates can follow your lead. Now you've got something that's really special, and, and I hope people know about her, and if you don't, you need to, to learn, because I think she exemplifies what it means to be uh, a leader today. So I think that's my biggest yeah. takeaway. Go back in our podcast history. We interviewed her. She is a delight, and she had a lot of cool insights, in, uh, especially around actually database storytelling. Mm-hmm. She was just saying that, I love when numbers tell a story. So I love when I have time to analyze and say, this is what is happening and this is why it's happening. Um, things that we, music to our ears at NetSuite. So she she really uh, hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think my second takeaway was during the, uh, the first uh, keynote session, it was almost like a mini Shark Tank round that uh, that we did, where yes. uh, I believe four different uh, startups had a chance to present the case for their business uh, to a panel of uh, four. I think Evan was one, and they had three mm-hmm. other. I don't recall their names off the top of my head. I don't either, but they had the most impressive backgrounds. I mean, yeah. you had people in venture capital, private equity. You had uh, they a lot of past veterans. Uh, I mean, just really amazing people. Yeah, and I. I tried to say hello to them at the party last night, but I just kind of got like camera shy a little. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what to say to someone that impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 so having a chance to to observe that, it's one, it's great. It's always great for me to hear about entrepreneurs just like Connor. Uh, but two, I think it's important because I think Netsuite recognizes the importance of innovation and and being able to to have the confidence to start a business because even in the midst of all the economic turmoil that we're facing right now, and we don't know how long it's gonna last, that there are still people unafraid mm-hmm. to to build out a business idea and go in front of however many thousands of people are here at this and, and make the case and you know be grilled for, for a couple minutes by these these expert inve- investors. And uh, that, that speaks really well to the spirit of innovation, I think, within the country uh, to persist even amidst these challenges. And for NetSuite to recognize, yeah, there's a business opportunity because they want to be able to partner with these, these companies and help them grow, uh, but also to, to be able to elevate them to the platform that they have at SweetWorld. I mean, that's, that's just an incredible uh, thing that I, that I think we did. And... Um Every company that that pitched as a part of this had just a huge human component to it. Uh, So the first was a company uh, that had created an app that helped people pay off their student loans, literally just gave them the the financial advice needed to pay off their student loans uh, well. The second was um, uh, essentially uh, glasses that would allow Uh, doctors and specialists to see whatever condition uh, was being treated by the person on hand with the patient uh, just because of such a medical professional shortage that we are going to have to use technology to make sure that everyone gets the health care that they need. And then the last one um, being a software that, uh, an AI-based software, I believe, that goes through and uh, highlights any sort of discriminatory uh, 
or our bias language that might be uh, present in job postings that you might not even think about. You might think, oh, this is, uh, I mean, you're kind of building a job posting based on past job postings that may have not catered to everyone. So um, all young, fantastic, really well-spoken uh, pitches and, and everyone had to vote at the end and I really struggled with the vote. I just wanted to be like, everyone did a great job. Yeah, you're all winners. <laughs> you're all winners in my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, which is actually true because I, I think they will all find success in their own ways. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's just a really good sign for, for just the future of our economy and, you know, the, and, the, and the people who want to build things that, that address pain points. I think it's, that's outstanding. Um, I would say, let's see, my third big takeaway, well, maybe it's a small takeaway, it'll feel small, um, is that CFOs still really enjoy meeting with each other and, and they want to learn from each other. Uh, even just in, my, in our little you know, prep meetings with the, some of the, my panels, is there's a natural inquisitiveness that they have with each other, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, they all share the same title, but they don't do the same things or the same way. Uh, you know, one of my panel, you know, one was in travel and hospitality, one was in supply chain, a third was in uh, legal e-discovery software. Those are nothing alike, but uh, because of the experience that they have, they, they had this natural bond uh, that happens very quickly. And at least for me, from a personal standpoint, I like to see that. I like to see people wanting to help each other. And, uh, and I think whether that's in, in large ways or small ways, that's a big, big opportunity for coming together with, with Sweet World uh, is, is you create the environment where they can do that. And it brings satisfaction to them, and that in turn helps them become better leaders. So I have to ask, going down the line, um, what do you think is on the docket editorially? Uh, what, mm-hmm. what topics do you think are going to be most important to you guys going forward for, let's say, the next year? I think um, one, of the, one of the big takeaways that we've gotten in our own surveys is that CFOs prepared their companies really well for what we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started a year, two years ago. They, they mapped it out really well. But what about the next year? How are they going to peer into the future and figure out, okay, if, if inflation doesn't uh, subside, if interest rates do continue to rise, and they probably will, uh, what does that mean for the vitality of our business? And I think that is the big area of exploration that we will continue editorially is because we want to know how are you going to continue to lead the company when, when you don't really know how long it's going to last. Uh, and, and in our own surveys, most expected is that the inflationary environment will last less than two years, mm-hmm. somewhere, somewhere around the next 12 months or so. Well, if they can figure that out, then we can, they can plan on how to help their company survive just like they did with the pandemic. But there's always that element of uncertainty, and that's why it's important for them to be in places like this and to work with NetSuite because all of those are become support systems for how they help carry their company. Yeah, and I, I do feel like from my uh, perspective, I, I have to imagine that you kind of put together a lot of things and did it very, very quickly. And you want to do it right the first time around, right? Mm-hmm. But you're dealing with a pandemic. All of a sudden, your supply chain is completely broken. You're kind of like throwing things into place to stay afloat. And I do wonder if the next couple of years is kind of going to be revisiting some of those things and not necessarily re- redoing everything, but maybe you 
hastily implanted, uh, uh, implemented like a piece of technology and now you want to hone in on like what you actually wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And like maybe you hired a bunch of people to cover things and now it's like, okay, we need to make their roles more specialized. And mm -hmm. I think in, in my view, I, I, I have to wonder if it's going to be kind of a, okay, we're looking back to go forward. Yeah sense. Yeah, and that is sort of the nature of the CFO anyway, is you, know, you have to look back to look forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that's you know, where a lot of the software helps. I mean, it's not just NetSuite, but a lot of companies hear about that, solving some of those pain points. Um, but you got to be able to look forward. You can't be afraid to do it. Um, and to, because you want to grow and you want your companies to, to do well, and you have to have the courage to be able to do that. Do you want to hear what my biggest takeaway was? Go for it. Okay. I, uh, it's from the interview with Jen Hurdler where she was like, I think I'd end with this. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty much getting the words exactly right where she was like, you got to bet on yourself. You got to take risks and you kind of got to be ballsy. <laughs> and I loved yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that impresses me about her is, you know, that 10 year gap that's real life, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes real life happens. And especially you know, uh, for women, I have to say, you know, and from my own wife, she had a similar 10 year gap in her career. You can't be afraid to bet on yourself because there is so much in that brain and in, in those experiences that still are really, really important as for leadership, for execution, for change management. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a great word from Jen. Yeah, and it's a great way to end our podcast today. Uh, take risks, be ballsy. I think that's the way to end it. Yeah. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you at Sweet World, and I love that we could do this recap together. Yeah, this is a blast, and uh, I hope uh, everybody listening uh, gets some takeaways out of this because the CFOs just have some amazing stories to tell. Well, that was such a fantastic interview to host and a perfect way to wrap up our many, many thoughts on the excitement of Sweet World 2022. I love the perspective that Andy has from years of telling the stories of CFOs and telling them really well, particularly his thoughts on what it means to be an effective leader in today's environment. Truly powerful stuff and such a pleasure to have on the podcast. So big shout out to Andy Bird for joining us. We hope to have him on again soon. And last, but certainly not least, I want to extend another thank you to our editing crew over at Lamsand, and as always, all of you for tuning in. Uh, if you want more episodes just like this one, make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a rating and review. Thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.